You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 326 of Podcateers. This week, I'm joined by our pal Jason of the FIA Disney and Glass Blowers Companion Podcast. We talk about what it's been like staying on property and visiting the parks now that Florida has had a surge in visits since the parks reopened. We talk about one of the things Disney's doing to help us get through not being able to celebrate Halloween in the parks, a special project that's helping furloughed cast members, a major change at Wonderground in Anaheim, and we talk about a recently released documentary about a Disney-created band named Halix. The documentary itself will be available to watch on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 326. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this almost lost piece of Disney history. You can share your thoughts by leaving a comment on the blog post for this episode or by joining the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. If you want to connect with Jason and all of his different projects, make sure to check out the blog post for all of those links. Subscribe to his podcast and tell him we said hello. Before we start, I'd like to send a very special shout out and thank you to all of the members of the FQP squad, aka our podcast, Fairy Godparents, because it's their monthly support via Patreon that helped make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you would like more information on how you can become part of the FQP squad family, you can get more information by going to podcateers.com FGP. Once again, a very special thank you to all of the members of the FQP squad for their continued support. Teamboat Willie is getting ready to virtually participate in this year's Walk for Hope in support of finding a cure for women's cancers. More information will be available at teamboatwilly.com. You know, we've talked about it before. We know that it's been a super weird year, but if you have the ability to help out, any little bit will help us get to our goals. We're super close to reaching our first milestone of $500. So if you can toss in a few bucks to help us reach that goal, that would be awesome. Uh, the next goal after that is going to be a thousand. Uh, we're working on trying to get a few things to auction off. It's a little difficult because we've always purchased uh, things that are park exclusives uh, in order to help us out with these fundraisers and with the parks closed right now uh, our ability to get these special items has taken a bit of a hit so uh, working on that but in the meantime if you're able to just share our links that actually will help us out tremendously in helping spread the word to help us try to raise money uh, to help us find cures for women's cancers because cancer just sucks man um yeah we we just want to get to a world where that does not exist so uh if you're interested in becoming a part of our team or helping us fundraise you can do that as well if you go to teamboatwilly.com you're going to find a link for both to make a donation or to join our team and if you have any questions feel free to dm us and we'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have uh, to everyone that's already taken a moment to uh, provide a donation and help us out with our efforts, thank you very much for your support. We truly appreciate it. It's time to jump into this podcast, so let's do this. Here is episode 326 of Podcateers. One, two. Is this on? I think so. Yeah. A little callback to an old Triple H theme song that I used to really, really enjoy. And then, uh, you know, 
life changed and he he moved on to bigger, better things, I would assume. Yeah. Like uh, getting married in a Vegas drive-thru? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least it wasn't a crazy story in a funeral home. But, you know, yeah, that's it true. is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, love, gotta love professional wrestling. Right, right. Uh, how you been, dude? Pretty good, man. Good to be back on the show. Appreciate the the, the text, and uh, I've been wanting to come back on here anyway, so might as well come on this week. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on, especially considering it was such short notice. Uh, it's been an absolute bonkers week, man. The fires have just not stopped here on the West Coast. I've read and and seen people posting that apparently the smoke from the West Coast has now reached the East Coast. Interesting. Uh, there's, yeah, there's like hurricanes and tropical storms going on. And uh, I mean, look, it's Armageddon, apparently. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's time it's to break out. Yeah, it's time to break out the Aerosmith music and see what Bruce Willis can do for us. Oh, man, I don't, I don't trust that guy. What? I mean, he had a whole film based on it. I mean, he was the star, right? Wasn't Bruce Willis the star of Armageddon? He was one of them. Him and, uh, what, Ben Affleck? Was, that the guy was I'm it of? Ben Affleck? I think so. The one that uh, stayed behind or was going to, and he was uh, gonna Or was engaged. it Billy Bob Thornton? He was in it, too. It was a big uh. cast. Because it also had uh, uh, Liv Tyler was in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And the Ben Affleck-Liv mm. Tyler story. Yeah, I, I don't know. I could be completely wrong. It, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, 2020, <laughs> right? So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how's uh, – I know life has been moving much faster for you guys in Florida. But I know you've had an opportunity to go back and, you know, head to downtown Disney or Disney Springs down there. Mm -hmm. uh, what's it been like since uh, the opportunity to go has ramped up for people since the last time that we spoke? So coming from the perspective of a guest, I've had the opportunity now to uh, go to Magic Kingdom, stayed on property at uh, freaking, uh, what's that name of that hotel resort? I'm having a complete brain fart right now. We stayed on property, and then also then went to Epcot, and then yesterday went to Animal Kingdom. So I've hit all the parks except for Hollywood Studios, which right now Hollywood Studios is the go-to park because of uh, Rise of Resistance, which on a side note was actually struck by lightning. Literally, I don't know if you saw the pictures of it. <laughs> I did! That was the craziest thing I've ever seen! <laughs> Holy smokes, yeah, it was insane, man. So crazy. So they've had some a lot of technical issues since because of that. I mean, they already had them to begin with. Now you have, uh, you know, God intervening <laughs> with his fury, <laughs> and uh, they're having all kind of other issues. But that being said, that park's been uh, very popular, even for uh, they've been opening up spots for annual pass holders uh, that for tickets that aren't taken by regular guests for reservations, and they're still pretty much at capacity every day. That's crazy. So. But that being said, if there's any place in the world to be right now that I would feel safe during this pandemic is Disney. And I tell people that all the time and they think I'm crazy. But as a cast member, as also being there as a guest and seeing both sides of what's happening, they're, they're taking every precaution above and beyond what is necessary to make sure that the guests that are there are not only having a good time and, and enjoying the magic of what is 2020, but also feel safe and, uh, you know. I also hear all the time, uh, you need to pull your mask up over your nose, please, because, <laughs> you know, people are uh, not really, not everybody, but there's a small percentage of guests that still come to the park that don't really give a crap about following the rules. Yeah, you know, 
I, I totally get where you're coming from. I know that we've had uh, a lot of our listeners, you know, I've seen members of the FGP squad posting photos from different parks. Uh, some of them have been traveling to Florida to go to Walt Disney World, especially since Disneyland proper hasn't been open since it closed. Uh, but I've seen a lot of people heading to downtown Disney and just going to grab some food, or some beignets or whatever the case is. And, you know, I, I fall into this weird category of people because I'm all for you finding a safe way to interact with family and friends, especially if you know, you know, they they're not infected or if you can keep a safe distance, if you can follow all the safety precautions to keep yourself and other people safe. But it's not Disney that worries me, you know, especially mm -hmm. here in California right now. We're reaching this really odd phase where and, and i'm assuming it's everywhere but it, it feels like people are really reaching that breaking point where they're like i don't even care anymore like just go out and do it uh and so it's not really disney like i have every bit of faith that disney will do everything in their power to get people back into the parks as soon as possible because they're losing money left and right you know they mm -hmm. need people to go back to the parks in order to sustain their business and I get it. You know, I'm glad that they're taking all these additional safety precautions, but it's the people, the chin strappers, so to speak, mm -hmm. that I, you know, I worry about because if cast members see it, that's fantastic that, you know, they're following protocol and they're, they've really tightened up a lot of those experiences so that they don't have, you know, people getting infected and whatever the case is. Because uh, my concern at the very beginning was always the fact that, you know, they would say, oh, yeah, we're going to take your temperature and then, you know, wear a mask. But the temperature was never a really great way to gauge whether or not you were asymptomatic or not or whether you were infected. That was one thing that concerned me. And uh, I, I see people going, it's still going to be, you know, a little bit of time before I'm possibly okay with going and when we go it'll probably be by myself just to you know cover stuff because i know that i can keep myself safer i can keep a safer distance i've had the experience of wearing a mask for longer periods of time than you know other people in my family especially my kids you know my kids want to take it off because they just feel uncomfortable with it yeah so yeah. until they're in a situation where i can teach them how to wear it for extended periods of time I'm not going to feel safe with them not covering their face properly. So, you know, when the time comes, like I said, it'll probably be me going by myself just to start kind of jumping back in the water. But it's still going to be a few months before I go. So Yeah. Well, yeah, it makes total sense. And what's interesting from my perspective, like, you know, I'm in Mexico. Most of my, most of my day is working there. And we have the tequila bar, which has got fantastic tequila. And it's always a popular spot, especially this time of year during what we have now, what we want to call food and wine. But we have the food and wine festival. They kind of blended the festival of, of uh, flower and garden with food and wine and extended it out, et cetera. Um, but what, what Disney is finding is that people are being drawn to, say, Epcot, for instance, more for the food than they are for the attractions and merchandise. Merchandise, for sure, but mostly the food. So, like, say, this last weekend, I was in there on Saturday, and it got to a point to where they had to start keeping track of people coming in and out of the pyramid once they started to kind of, quote-unquote, increase uh. the capacity. Because each, because at the World Showcase, their individual countries have their buildings, you know, you go into whatever. But being with Mexico, having the tequila bar, the capacity is reaching a point where 
everybody that's in there is drinking. There's nobody actually going on the ride or shopping. So the tequila bar is making a ton of money. I mean, you got $15 plus for a, a margarita. I know those guys that the bartenders, they'll walk out with like 1200 bucks a night in tips, you know, during Whoa. food and wine. Yeah, dude, like it's crazy. Like the line usually for food and wine goes out the pyramid, up this ramp and out the pyramid. It's like, it's just, it's insane. So now they've got to a point where they've actually created a queue. When you first walk in the pyramid, there's a gallery space that you walk into. I'm sure you've seen it on the videos yeah. on YouTube of kind of the setup. And so they've actually created a queue inside of that space to let you in there first. And then they let you from there into the actual pyramid. And they have the ramps that go around. One goes to your right, one goes to your left. And it's a one way in, one way out kind of scenario. And they don't even count you as leaving the pyramid until you're actually out of the building, which is you know, kind of interesting seeing it. And talking with the managers there and understanding there's even a restaurant in there as well. So once time comes for the restaurant to open, they have to increase the capacity by 50 people. Whether those people are eating in the restaurant or not, the capacity has to be still lifted. So if they hit capacity, say like 280 people's capacity at that point in time, and you have reservations for the restaurant, they may or may not let you in because they're at capacity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting kind of seeing this whole thing work. But it's also for Disney's side that they're losing out on revenue because people are there for the food and the drinks instead of being there for merchandise, you know. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. And then as a guest as well, going there myself, we went there the weekend before Labor Day weekend, and it was, it was okay. The bar, Epcot wasn't too packed. We had a nice, safe, you know, distance, fun time there. Um, we took the, the Skyliner back and forth to the hotel, and uh, which was a lot of fun, and, and I love taking the Skyliner. Uh, but then we went to Animal Kingdom yesterday, and Animal Kingdom yesterday felt like a normal day at Animal Kingdom. Capacity-wise, wait times for rides. Flight of Passage lately has only been maybe 25 to 45 minutes max. It was over two and a half hours all day yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Same with Everest. Like Everest was, we waited in line for, I, I want to say 30 minutes, but it hit a, over an hour for that, just for the Everest roller coaster. Now, the queues extended out because of c spacing and social distancing. So at a half capacity with social distancing, the park lines, the queue lines, wait times are basically what they are when there's no social distancing and the park's at capacity. It's interesting. And I think Disney was expecting that. And they're definitely working with it and making it happen. So guests are happy, you know. But it was pretty busy yesterday. Like we didn't, we didn't even go into Pandora because just based on the wait time for Flight of Passage, I knew that that space was going to hit, you know, quote unquote, hit capacity, and we may not even be able, have been able to go in there. I was only going to go there for a beer anyway, so I was like, whatever, we can go home now. We can come back, you know, some other time. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Uh, are they not using virtual queues for anything? No, not for the rides. Only virtual, quote unquote, virtual queues are for food. Everything's a virtual order ahead. Even oh, like for Dole Whips, crazy. we went to Magic Kingdom. We actually li we literally stood in front of the Dole Whip stand, ordered our stuff on mobile, and then just like walked up to the window and picked it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's crazy to me because you would figure that if all of these rules were things that Disney knew about all the way back in April, you know they knew things were going to have to change. The further we got into May and June, July, it was looking like hey, we're going to have to social distance for quite mm -hmm. some time. It's amazing to me that the infrastructure is there for them to apply virtual cues to the attractions, especially with all the work that they did for Rise of the Resistance. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't applied it to the other attractions in all of the parks yet. 
I think I think part of it has to do with so the way the queues are set up, say like with switchbacks and stuff, say for like Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, and when you're when you're inside there, the queue also goes outside of the space that the the line normally would be. You right? So like they've they've extended the queues outside of the attractions. So that that's kind of helped maximize the space in a sense. But also in the switchbacks, they put plexiglass up in between the switchbacks, and they're framed out and painted and decorated in a sense to actually blend into the space, which has been oh. nice. So it, as you know, as a way to do it, and I think part of it is because the attractions eat up people from being grouping in parks and stuff, yeah. because like if it rains, for instance, like when Julie was there on Saturday, I think it was yeah Saturday was she was there. Um, it rained most of the day, so people were like under the awnings and hanging out. In packs, like not staying spaced apart because of there was no place to go to stay, you know, to get yeah. to get from away from the rain. So I think that's kind of the main thing is they're thinking about the groupings of people. I, I like the way it's been set up because, like Magic Kingdom, for instance, at Prince Charming's Carousel, there's usually five thousand strollers that are parked there for fan- for the, all the people that are in Fantasyland, and there was maybe two strollers that we saw, which is interesting. Mm. So I, it's it's definitely not set up for virtual queues now i think dumbo which is i know has always not always but in the last five years or so they've had a virtual queue for that ride i'm sure that's still the same um the festival center at epcot that's being an indoor space they had at one point in time a virtual queue for that when that first opened up because it was a popular place to go to um as far as i've seen it when i've gone by there there hasn't been a virtual queue for it but there was one set up just for the capacity for inside the building itself but there's hasn't been any for rides, except for Rise of Resistance. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. Uh, I love the fact that they've put up the plexiglass and, like you said, that they've kind of blended it into the attraction. That's cool. The mm-hmm. day that Julie went was that the day that Snoke was like Force Lightning, bam. <laughs> no, that I think that happened like a month ago now. Was she was there. Just it's Dude, been a while. I, I know, mean, right? it's, it's September I, I, already. Look, in 2020, <laughs> time has become a concept that no one understands anymore. So I've just given into it. I don't know how long things take anymore. If it wasn't for me glancing outside and looking at the sun going up and down, I wouldn't even know that a day has passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're six years into quarantine now, and, I mean, <laughs> I've gained quite a, a bit of um, <clears throat> oh. heft. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you and me both, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've literally I've put on twenty pounds in the last. Uh, oh, whatever, I wish. March. I wish it was that much. Let's move on, though. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's crazy, man. Well, I mean, I'm glad that Disney's doing everything that they can, and I hope that they be they continue to ramp up precautions as more and more people go to the parks. Because I know here in California, they're really looking into ways to reopen the parks and kind of get that part of the economy going again. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just it's crazy, you know if. That's the thing. Like, people complain about things not opening, yet if they followed the simple rule that it doesn't take that much to do, the parks would have possibly already been opened. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, but exactly. it's because yeah. people aren't following these rules that the parks are not yet open. And that, I think that's the part that people don't get right now. Anyway, yep. uh, you know, you talked to, uh, about merchandise, and it's interesting because. Disney is really struggling merchandise-wise, especially for stuff that you can find inside of the parks right now. And lo and behold, I'm going through Instagram today, and I see p- 
pictures of formerly known as Wonderground now <laughs> because it's being converted into a Star Wars trading post. Huh. So I, I took it upon myself to actually call Disney on this one because I wanted to know exactly what was happening because it just seemed like a surprise, right? So I called Disney and they told me that a super cool cast member, right? I, man, I wish I remembered her name. She was super awesome. Uh, basically, she told me that the swap out is looks like it's temporary because a lot of the stuff that they were selling at Dokandar's on Batuu is not available anywhere else. And because World of Disney is the really large store here at Downtown Disney where they sell primarily all the Disney stuff and everything else is just restaurants, they didn't want to take out a portion of of that store because of all the stuff they're already keeping there in order to make room for Star Wars. So they're temporarily removing the art from Wonderground to make this a Star Wars trading post. Uh, I do find it odd that they gutted Wonderground, though, because the Void building is there. Like, the Void didn't renew their contract. So as far as I know, that building is completely vacant. Hmm. So the fact that they didn't convert that into the trading post is a little confusing. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, from everything that I've heard so far, it's a temporary thing. We're crossing our fingers that it is a temporary thing because it's a great space. You know, there's a lot of artists that aren't necessarily under contract or aren't Disney animators. Uh, a lot of our friends, you know, people that we know uh, have been featured at Wonderground and they've had some amazing pieces. A lot of them have gone viral. You know, uh, our friends like Sam Carter, you know, Jared Mariyama, you know, they've all had these pieces at Wonderground that you know, transcend pop culture. Like, look yeah, at absolutely. what the, the hipster Mickey did, you know, for the Disney community and how popular mm -hmm. that became. So uh, I'm hoping that they find another space for it that's either bigger or they put it back into that space because I would not like to lose Wonderground. I know that I'm not alone on that. I'm sure that Disney's received all sorts of phone calls and comments online about this change. And we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm going to have to go down to uh, our Disney Springs where we have our Wonderground. And I'm kind of curious if they're going to be moving merchandise over there or if it's a temporary thing, putting it on hold. And then it also gets me to think, too, like if they're going to go through this whole expense to open up a store for Star Wars merchandise, what does that say about them reopening the parks anytime soon? You know, because I know that they're talking yeah. about the uh, some of the stuff they're doing in the, at the entrances, getting the lighting going, you know, kind of getting the brightness of it, you know, getting Disney turned back on again. But then... Is this going to extend out through winter, potentially first of 2021, reopening Disneyland now? Because, you know, I understand they would, you know, right now, September, figure October, the shopping with season would start, quote unquote, for the Christmas time. So maybe they're just getting ready for the, the Christmas rush. I mean, I don't know. I And at the same time, on that same note, I really am curious about Christmas at Disney. I know what we're doing here, but I just mean in terms of capacity and crowds. Because I haven't been to Disney during the holidays probably 20 years just because of the crowds you know this might be the first time i get a chance to actually go and enjoy myself during the holidays and see i'm the complete opposite i love the holidays in the parks and i could care less what the crowds look like i've always gone because especially christmas time that's my favorite time of the year in the parks mm -hmm. and now we may not even get that you know we're at a point where we got the news back in june that at walt disney world they were canceling Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween. 
But I understand why they made the call so early because not-so-scary tickets go on sale mid-June, early July because you guys started in, like, August, right? Like, yeah, mid-August, yeah. not-so-scary is, like, in full gear. Oh, and dude, Halloween costumes when it's 105 degrees heat index, it's yeah, a that's, lot of fun. That's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yes, it's my favorite. <laughs> but because of the fact that it goes from, like, August to the end of October, they obviously have to get started early. And mm-hmm. where we were in June is totally different where we are now. I mean, it's kind of different, but it's kind of the same, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they recently made the call here that they were canceling Oogie Boogie Bash at California Adventure. It was crazy because we saw the trickle down of Halloween Horror Nights closing. Uh, they weren't going to do Not Scary Farm. They weren't going to do, you know, a lot of these staples for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the the latest thing that happened, which I thought was kind of funny, was there was a California mandate where they were just going to cancel Halloween altogether. And we weren't allowed to go trick or treating or anything like that. And I thought, OK, I get that. But at the same time, this is like the perfect time to perfect a candy cannon. If ever there was a way for me to just like pelt candy at people and it would be okay, this is the time. Heck yeah. I right? agree. I'm all about it. <laughs> so uh, I think they ended up rolling back that mandate the very next day because people were just like, how yep. dare you stand between me and my free candy? Well, I know like the Snickers companies, they even cut back on production because of the, the lack of sales they're going to have this year. They were saying like Mars, you know, and all the other companies. Yeah. We, my wife and I were joking because we saw that Peeps aren't going to be producing uh, Halloween and Christmas Peeps this year. And Aww. I thought, there's there's Halloween and Christmas Peeps? I thought they just had the little Easter chicks. I had <laughs> no idea they made Halloween and Christmas ones. And then she reminded me, she's like, yeah, remember the little pumpkins and the trees? I was like, ah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, all right, I get it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Disney's trying to do their part, obviously, because they want a piece of that, right? They want people to buy their costumes or do whatever they can. So D23 is going to be holding a virtual masquerade. And the masquerade is very similar to the one that they've done at D23 before. It's essentially a virtual costume contest. And I think their grand prize is like $500. Hmm. So I, you can submit photos through the D23 website between September 17th and October 1st. Uh, I'm going to leave details about that in the blog post for this episode over at podcuteers.com slash 326 if you want to take a look at that. Uh, because honestly, dude, there was some crazy costumes at the masquerades that we've seen in the past that are just insane. Yeah, I've seen and, some of the videos, like the, oh, the Haunted Mansion rides and everything. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. That one was one of my favorites, but there was this entire... I, last year, they did something different. I don't remember this at previous ones, but they ended up having this like street party that would, like every two or three hours or something like that, would just kind of have music and a couple of grand marshals, which were like Disney channel stars, Disney legends and stuff like that. They would put them in a little car and they would have a parade inside of the building with a bunch of dancers, a bunch of balloons and confetti and everything. And they would highlight the finalists. And I think the winners of the masquerades this last year. And there was one group of, of girls that dressed up as the Disney princesses. And it was one of my favorite costume sets like that i've ever seen because they were all dressed as princesses they all started dancing 
And then they all did this thing with their dresses where they all looked like teacups and they all started spinning and it looked like the Mad Tea Party. I saw that. Yes. That's so awesome. Super cool, man. I love the creativity. I love how people just go all out for these things. And if they don't have an opportunity like to feed that creative beast, like I've been there, right? I, I know how it feels and I know that it like I don't know about you, bro, but it gives me anxiety when I can't do creative things. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. And I can understand if cosplayers and Disney bounders and stuff like a lot of them post stuff on Instagram and they're still going out into their yards and posting, you know, daily stuff. But the, the ones that do these elaborate costumes for these expos and stuff, if they don't have a way to show them off or really have something to shoot for, I can understand how it's driving them crazy right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if I don't, if I go like a week not blowing glass and or doing any kind of art, yeah, I, I definitely uh, my brain wants to explode. Right? Yeah, I get it. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that they're doing that. Uh, like I said, I'm gonna post that in the blog post for the episode. So if you want more info, podcasthere's.com/slash/three-twenty-six. Um, we're gonna be jumping into our main topic really soon, and I'm pretty excited about this topic because. It's a little piece of Disney history that, I mean, otherwise would have been lost to the ages. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. But before we do, I do want to remind you that this episode of Podcateers is brought to you by a fantastic group of people known as the FGP Squad. The FGP Squad is short for our podcast, Fairy Godparents, and it's their monthly contributions via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you want a little more information on how you can become part of the FGP Squad family, you can head over to podcateers.com FGP for more information. Uh, I have to say that the FGP Squad has been one of my favorite things to come out of this podcast because I've just developed so many amazing friendships from it. Jason actually was part of the FGP squad for years, you know, has been a, such a huge supporter. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. you know, I've been blessed with his friendship since then. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate all you've done to help support us. And, you know, now I get to shoot the bleep with you on the side without having mm-hmm. to do the podcast or anything like that. And, you know, yeah, I, man, we I can, love it. We can do Pokemon raids and uh, all that good stuff. Hey, have you gotten enough to get a Mega Evolution at all? So the Beedrill I have, I Charizard I can now, yeah. And I'm almost there for uh, for the Bulbasaur or whatever, Venusaur. But, uh, yeah, it takes a little while. Yeah, I'm glad that they raised or lowered the limit of what you need and raised the amount of candy for each raid because it was getting frustrating. Uh, there's yeah. this really prominent uh, Pokemon player uh, named Brandon Thun. And mm-hmm. he was talking about how people were frustrated with this new mechanic because it was basically pay to play. And it yeah. really did feel like that. It was the first time that I ever felt really compelled to have to pay to continue playing Pokemon Go. And I've never felt like that before. Uh, yep, so completely. anyway, I don't want to veer off into Pokemon talk, but <laughs> yes, it's a fun thing. I'm glad we do it. Uh, but yeah, the FGP squad, awesome group of people. Uh, again, podcasters.com slash FGP if you want more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad family. To all of the members of the FGP squad, thank you, all of you, for your continued support. Uh, I know I owe you a Zoom call because we had to, uh, unfortunately, cancel last month's call. So that information is going to be posted to Patreon very soon. 
Also, I want to let you know that Team Boat Willie is raising money in support of the fight against women's cancers. Uh, we're going to be raising money for City of Hope in their first ever virtual Walk for Hope. If you go to TeamBoatWillie.com, you'll find more information about our team there. You'll find links on how you can make a donation or how you can join our team and join us in raising money to try to abolish cancer from this world because, quite frankly, cancer sucks. Mm -hmm. And uh, every little bit that we raise is one step closer to us living in a world without cancer to just stop the suffering because there's so many words I want to use about cancer, but I'm not allowed to because we're a PG rated podcast. So if you come on our show and say them all, I might do that. So if you want to help out, uh, please head over to TeamBoatWilly.com for those links. And if you can help us out by reposting our links, retweeting us on Twitter, it would be super helpful. Uh, It sounds cliche, but a dollar goes a long way. And if a thousand people donate a dollar, we're at a thousand bucks. You know, I think we're very close to hitting our first milestone of $500. Uh, we may be within $50 or so from hitting that milestone. So if you can help us reach that, awesome. Our next milestone would be 1000 So if you can help us spread the word, that would be awesome. To everybody that's already contributed, we just want to say uh, thank you. I'm trying to find a couple of items that maybe we can auction off. I know that we've done that in the past, but we've always purchase things that are park exclusives and without the parks right now it's been really difficult to get our hands on these limited edition items uh, because of how they're doing the lottery and how people are signing up to get these items so i'm going to keep working on it if anybody has an opportunity to donate something that you'd like us to to auction off for this that would also be great Uh, just shoot us a dm and you know we'll work something out for you You know, since we're talking about charitable causes, uh, I want to send a quick shout out and make note of something that's actually been happening for quite some time. Uh, I hadn't really paid too much attention to this before, and I'm kind of upset that I didn't. But uh, Emily Lartigue, I I believe that's how you say her last name. If it's not, Emily, I'm so sorry that I mispronounced that. Uh, But Emily started something called Cast Member Pantry. If you go to (laughs) castmemberpantry.com... Hey, it's me. I just wanted to quickly jump in here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast with myself. That's weird. Uh, Anyway, normally when I make a mistake uh, for a link or something, I try to correct it in the blog post or in an upcoming episode. But while we were recording this, uh, I said you should go to castmemberpantry.com. That link doesn't seem to work. Uh, So if you go to facebook.com slash castmemberpantry, you should be able to get to the location where you can find more information on how you can help out. Uh, I'll talk about it a little bit more, but just remember that anytime I talk about going to castmemberpantry.com, I actually mean go to facebook.com slash castmemberpantry. So sorry about that. Let's go back to the podcast. It'll lead you to their Facebook page where you can uh, actually donate to help some of the cast members that are out of work because they've been furloughed or let go because of the pandemic. Their pinned post on Facebook reads as follows. Are you or a fellow cast member you know in need of groceries during this difficult time? Cast Member Pantry makes it quick and easy to receive free food essentials once a month per cast member. You'll receive a reusable grocery bag filled with foods that are easily put together to make meals for 
number four with breakfast and snack options as well. We take pride in putting food we all enjoy in our bags because we believe our cast members deserve the best and a little comfort too. How? Make an appointment today by emailing castmemberpantry at gmail.com. Fill out the survey and you'll get an automatic reply. And then you'll receive an email within a day or two and you'll receive instructions on how to get it. You can make a monetary donation, donate canned foods and all that stuff to help. Uh, the information for that will also be in the blog post for this episode, podcateers.com slash 326 if you would like to check that out. Uh, had you heard about this before, Jason? Because, I, I, I mean, I feel bad that I felt so disconnected that I hadn't really heard about this before. Yeah, it's actually been on our local news uh, for the cast here. Um, there's definitely a lot of cast members that are out, like so much so where you know resorts aren't being reopened right now, so they're moving custodial and, and housekeeping from, say, the Polynesian over to Pop Century, which is the hotel resort we stayed at was Pop Century. I had 50s primetime in my head for some reason, and I knew it was 50s <laughs> and 60s, but what is this place called? Um, but anyways, yeah, so it's... Uh, it's definitely something that's pretty awesome that they're doing because there's a, a lot of people. I know like the most of a majority of Orlando in general, whether it's Universal or SeaWorld or wherever, are employed through the theme parks. And uh, there's a lot of folks out of work right now because of it. Yeah, I'm glad that this is going on. Like I said, I feel really bad that I this wasn't on my radar sooner because I would have started talking about it and I would have plugged it a long time ago. But uh, I don't even remember how it came to my attention, but uh, I'm glad that it did. So, <laughs> yeah, castmemberpentry.com. All right. Awesome. Uh, I think it's time to jump into our main topic. What do you think? Yeah, man, I'm excited for this. This is a. Uh, I love learning about Disney stuff that I didn't know about. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because this is a conversation that I've had not just with Gavin and Mel, but with other podcasters, especially podcasters that talk about Disney history in general, because we always see Disney history as, I, I, I don't want to use the word finite, but there is a finite amount of Disney history to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that Disney history is passed down from us to others and then from them to others, YouTube to us, you know, books to us. And there, there's always these little pockets of history where occasionally you'll hear somebody say like, oh, yeah, you know, we kind of knew a little bit about that, but all that information has been lost. Uh, you know, the Disney Archives was started for this specific reason, right? Because they got tired of losing stuff. And Dave was Dave Smith, who, you know, started up the Disney Archives, was like, no, nah, man, we got to archive this. We got to keep this as part of our history because this is going to be important later in the, you know, in the future. And that's great. But there's always these little projects that would happen on the side that they become part of Yesterland, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. Music itself has always been tied to the Disney company in one way or another, you know, from the iconic themes on attractions to these amazing scores that we see uh, in in movies and the soundtracks um, or even when it comes to building new musical acts through Disney Channel. Right. Like Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus, um, groups that were randomly put together like Di Capella. You know, mm -hmm. all of these things were, were crucial to Disney telling the stories that they want to tell. But in the summer of 1981, there was an interesting experiment by the Disney company that was presented on the Tomorrowland space stage. 
And if you've paid any attention to the title card of this episode, it was a band called Halix. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, that little bit of Disney history could have very well completely been lost. And I think we were getting really close to losing that history had it not been for a recently released documentary called Live from the Space Stage, A Halix Story, which was produced by Kevin Perger of Defunct Land and was directed by Matthew Serrano, who also made this really great documentary called Remain Seated, Please, which was the story of a guy named Dave Ensign and uh, Ed Ed Barlow. Yeah, Ed Barlow Jr., uh, who were known as Hoot and Chief, or Hoot and Thunder Chief, I think is how they were known. But they became kind of famous in the Disney community for doing something that Disney does not like, and that was getting off an attraction and just kind of roaming around that attraction, filming everything, because they would do that constantly on Horizons over at Epcot. Yeah, Uh, such a cool documentary. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's available on YouTube. You can check it out. It's a really great documentary. But uh, a couple weeks back, live from the space station, A Halix Story was released. First impressions, Jason, what did you think watching this thing? I it was for for okay for, so for starters I was in my studio working on on the torch so I I wasn't able to like focus on the the screen at first but I became I became so enthralled that I had to stop working and just watch this thing and nice you know Defunct Land and Kevin Perger's work there it's such a great YouTube channel if you haven't subscribed definitely go check out their stuff he's got so much incredible well done documented Disney history it's just mm-hmm. incredible stuff mm-hmm. um, so. To see that they had this hour and a half long documentary first was intriguing to me. I actually I put it off for about a week after I dropped, and then I was going through my normal subscriptions of my YouTube channels, and they all were going one to the other. And then it got to this episode because I haven't watched it yet, and it started, and I didn't turn it off until it was over. And then the next day, I sent you a text like, "Dude, have you seen this yet?" And you're like, "Bro, I'm actually about to watch it today. <laughs> it yeah. was perfect timing." <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, it was pretty much the same thing for me too because. Uh, I'm subscribed to Defunct Land. I love all the stuff that Kevin puts together for that channel. Uh, honestly, I would love to have Kevin on the podcast to talk about you know his process and how he kind of dived into the world of theme parks and all that stuff because it's not necessarily Disney history that he concentrates on. It's all theme parks and all sorts of aspects of the theme industry that he mm-hmm. dives into. And he does just such a fantastic job of doing that, uh, that I would love to sit down and have a conversation with him. Uh, so if anybody knows Kevin yeah. and can relay this message to him, I would appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, it was in my queue and it was in my subscriptions And then it came to my attention because on Twitter, everybody went nuts for it when it first got released. And I kept seeing this name over and over. I was like, that sounds familiar. Why why does that sound familiar to me? Uh, And it's because I had kind of seen it in my subscriptions at one point, but I didn't know what it was. And uh, I kind of put it off as well. You know, thinking like, oh, man, it's an hour and a half. Like, I, I can't sit here for an hour and a half and watch this right now. I've been like crazy busy these last two weeks when you sent me the text message i was literally getting ready to watch it that evening and i thought okay well we'll talk about this tomorrow we'll see what this is all about dude 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 i'm angry at myself for having put it off that long now 
Yeah, and then after watching it too, and you know, I don't want to spoil a lot. Any, you know, we're obviously going to cover this, and it's there. It is what it is. But I wish that there was footage that was like a full concert from the soundboard that we could actually watch and appreciate what actually this was all about. Because it's a great example of you know, you go to Disney, you want to buy some merchandise you see on the shelf. You're like, oh, I'll get that next time. I'll get that next time. It ain't gonna be there, mm-hmm. and that's just how Disney is with everything. You know, it's the whole FOMO thing, and then and Disney has created that as a marketing tactic for you to want to buy all their crap. They produce these bands for the same kind of thing. Like, hey, let's just tease this little thing, get you over here. You're gonna pay your money to come to the park. Well, come to find out, there were people that were going to the park every day just to watch this band play. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a gr- they had groupies and that following that was going on, which is again now and having known this, it's it's amazing that this small group of people that got to experience this and enjoy it. Because I'm sure the majority of people that were walking into Disneyland and were hearing this music from a distance were like, what in the hell is going on over there? Yeah. Either in a good way or a, or a bad way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Having rock and roll. You know, so, I, I don't know. I don't even know where to begin, man, because there's coming from the perspective of a cast member also and, have, and working at Epcot and having seen... Um, the band that plays over in, or used to play over in the UK as a, as the like Beatles and Led Zeppelin cover band, these guys had long hair and earrings and stuff. And here I am an artist that wants to be an artist at Disney and show off my tattoos. And I have to wear long sleeve shirts and be conservative as an artist. I can't express myself. So I wear all black and I wear unmatching bright, bright, crazy colored socks every day. Right. That's like my thing. So to listen to these guys talking like he's got long hair and he's going through security and security's like, what are you doing, man? They're going to make you you know, go home or whatever because you have long hair. And the guy's like, well, I was the first cast member to have the ability and have the okay to sign a contract to have long hair in the park as a cast member because that's my thing. That's his role was a, a rock and roll guy, you know, yeah. just so funny. Yeah. I mean, it was obviously a different time, right? And it doesn't yeah. it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but think about you know having a beard like having a beard and working at disney was not something that's been available to cast members for that long in retrospect since when the park opened right oh yeah i've been told to shave many times yeah (laughs) until the least recently and even then you still have to have like a moderate cut to the beard like you can't have this huge beard that drags Mm -hmm. along the floor like you have to have a moderate cut to it so there are these rules in place that have been there since the opening of the park that watching that particular scene just kind of made it funny to me that he's kind of like, whatever, dude, like this is what my contract says. I'm walking in and I'm doing this show. Uh, It was great, but you made a good point about how people reacted listening to this music, you know, from afar, because when you think about the types of acts that are at Disneyland, it's the marching bands. It's the, I don't want to use the word bubblegum pop, but it's kind of in that realm, right? It's really poppy mm-hmm. music. It's really clean. It's it's very family-friendly. And for the most part, rock isn't seen as a family-friendly thing. It's always seen as this alternative thing that you do for the teenagers or, you know, for certain groups of people. Like, uh, like whenever you move away from what would appear on a general Disney record from the 50s, 60s, or maybe even the 70s, it's far removed from that type of music. It's it's far mm-hmm. removed from the Mouseketeer era of yeah. what music was. You know, recently we'd, we'd have stuff like 
um, Electronica or Mad Tea Party here at California Adventure. Uh, mm -hmm. Even keeping it as close to where this was in Tomorrowland, you know, you've had bands playing at the Tomorrowland Terrace for years, you know, I'm or they haven't done it in quite some time. But, you know, uh, I was introduced to really great bands that played at the Terrace, like Suburban Legends and Tomasina and Instant Replay. All of these bands were this rock punk style stuff that normally you wouldn't see at Disneyland. But in Tomorrowland, it just it kind of fit Right. And mm -hmm. that was the great thing about this. And so the fact that this act ran for I'm trying to decide if this ran for less time than Light Magic did. <laughs> I mean, it, it was super short lived. But I mean, the the concept was crazy because yeah. at the time, Star Wars was all the rage. Right. And then you had like all these alternative rockers coming onto the scene and. It had this like Star Wars esque aspect to it, where the costumes were—I mean, they were Star Warsy. They were kind of insane, right? But this was way before Disney was involved with Star Wars at all. Yeah, that's what was interesting to me too, because they were definitely saying how you know the bass player was like Chewbacca's cousin, quote unquote. You know, when it wasn't outright a Star Wars thing. I mean, this guy came like you know he came up with a name for this character, this creature that he was. But it definitely was this kind of really cutting edge ensemble that they never even worked together before, thrown in these crazy Star Wars costumes, and then played this, at the time, 80s rock and roll sound that, you know, most of the parents were afraid their kids were out up in the up in the hills with in the back seats of their cars necking, you know, at <laughs> Lover's Lane, <laughs> listening to freaking, you know, whoever, you know, back then in the 80s. It's just so funny. Yeah. So the band uh, consists. What did what did he call the creature? The Baharnith or something? The Baharmith yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was a crazy name. But the band itself consisted of Laura Mumford, who is the lead singer, uh, and I think the way that they describe her in the film is a punk rock Snow White, which I thought was a really interesting way. And after watching the performances, I have to agree with that. It's a really great way to characterize her. Uh, Roger Freeland, who was the bass player, he was the one that played the Wookiee-like bear creature. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Tony Coppola, who was a percussionist, and he looked like this weird frog and amphibious-like creature that, I mean, if that thing popped out at you at Disneyland, you'd probably run. Like, it was just yeah. not <laughs> fun to look at. Uh, and then Tom Miller, who was the keyboardist, who also happened to be married to Laura Mumford, uh, kind of dressed up in this like stormtrooper, Mad Max like looking costume, or actually, do you remember the cartoon Mask from the eighties? Oh, yeah. He looked like a character from Mask. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. So, and then he had this like crazy vehicle, like it was totally a Mask character. Yeah, and the guy was amazing. He was on the keyboard. Right, and so he uh, he had this like converted like golf cart or something like that, that yep. they made it look like a spaceship. And he had this like uh, monophonic keyboard looking thing on there where uh, he would sequence all these sounds to make it sound like a rock opera in space. And so much so that the fans began calling him the Beethoven from space. That was like his shtick. 
Um, mm-hmm. But he didn't have like a, an actual name in the band or anything like that. So uh, I think people were such fans of his that they reversed his name. And so Tom Miller became Mott Rellum. And they were yeah. making like bumper stickers for him. And just like <laughs> it was a crazy fan time, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Brian Luca was the drummer. Uh, he had on what I can only describe as a costume that one of Rainbow Bright's friends would wear. Yeah, good call. That's uh, right. That's a good one. <laughs> um, that's uh, honestly that's really <laughs> the only way I can describe it. Like gold lame all over it, like super uncomfortable. You yeah, know, his, his his platform would raise up. You know, and that was scary. Yeah, tell me about it. And he was even saying like he really couldn't rock out because the thing wobbled and made everything shake. I would have been so nervous thinking that thing was going to topple over or that like one of the symbols or something would fall over. And then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Right. You have the yeah. frog guy come and pick it up for you. I don't know. Like, that's yeah. just crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Bruce Gowdy was the guitarist and the songwriter. Uh, he was kind of the lead, like uh, aside mm-hmm. from Laura, he was like the heartthrob of, of the, the band. And then Jeanette Klinger was the backup singer for Laura Mumford. Uh, Laura had, I mean, she had these crazy, like Debbie, Harry, Joan Jett, Pat Benatar, like vibes to her. And man, that girl had pipes, dude. Oh man. She, uh, yeah. Amazing. I mean, she was so good. If I saw this band playing at Disneyland today, I would be there as much as possible watching them play. They are so good. Uh, they were awesome. I want to say they were kind of better than a lot of the eighties bands because there was like, they had this glam rock aspect to them, but they were also kind of star Wars inspired, but they were good. And like you said, the fact that they never played before, well, Tom and Laura played together because they had another band, I think in orange County called Vixen that they were both a part of. Uh, So they kind of knew each other's style and everything, but the rest of the band members, they were just scouting them out and they would go to clubs and they were just like, oh, yeah, that's a really great bass player. Like, we need to get that guy on board, you know. And uh, who was it? Mike. Um, uh, Mike Post. He's a, a Grammy award winning uh, composer. Uh, he's won Emmys. He's best known for like TV show themes. So uh, Magnum P.I., Law and Order, Rockford Files, uh, The A-Team. Uh, Hill Doogie Street Blues, Doogie Hauser, like these are all yeah. award-winning themes, and so they got him on board to help not only put the band together, but also to put the theatrics of the band together because they knew that you know putting together a band is one thing, but putting together this crazy-looking band that's supposed to be from outer space and really selling it like that was a totally different thing. You know, and he did he did a really great job scoping out all of these artists. Yeah, especially the musicians and the egos, you know, and then you, you go to the 80s, you know, it's like cocaine and whiskey fueled bands. These guys are just up and down every night going to strip clubs. Huge egos, right, at that time period. Yeah. And, you know, they were even saying how some musicians were just like, there's no way in heck I'm going to be doing that wearing that costume. These guys took complete advantage of it because they're like, we're inside this costume. They don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have fun with this, you know. And they 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 were able to make the characters who you know 
they're kind of put some personality into them yeah through the through the music as well and it was it was interesting too seeing how they even interacted with each other you know like the the polywog frog dude and yeah. he was like the nuisance on stage you know and he's he's always getting shooed off by the 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 bear guy you know kind of thing it's it was an interesting dynamic that they all had together yeah and didn't they talk about how Laura would go up to um the the Bahar the Baharnith and she would kind of like sing like a Billy Joel song or something to to make it look like oh you know like that's a love song that you would normally sing to another man but the fact that she's singing it to him kind of brings yeah. it down to reality like they're all equals almost like, yeah. I thought that but, was an interesting touch yeah and then kind of to back up to the the beginning of this you know early on Disney started producing records you know Master Size and all these other things that were uh, Defunctland has a great uh, sh- uh, series on the Master Size. A series of, of TV shows. I remember watching it as a kid. But to uh, see how they, they wanted to get into music, so they did. They got into the, the disco and that kind of stuff, you know, with Mickey and whatever. But it was always geared towards kids, and they wanted to find a way to kind of get this more for adults or have, like, an actual reputable record label, you know, to produce them, not really knowing where it was going to go. And uh, I remember as a kid having these little 45s, you know, like the read-alongs stories, you know, that you have. I still have a bunch of them. You have Star Wars and whatever that I still have in my box of my comic books. So just as a child of the 80s growing up with this, I didn't grow up with the music, but I grew up with the Disney stuff. So it's it's interesting to see what was going on behind the scenes, in a sense, for the adults and what, it beca- what this magic they created became. And then... They go into the end of the documentary where they were really trying to, to get these guys on a, on a real record. And, you know, talking about a band that's been thrown together, a lot of times when uh, a pop singer or whatever R&B singer is, has songs written for them, they'll have like a studio band that is there to play the music. There's not really like any kind of ensemble that this person goes with. And I think Disney, the record label executives, really saw these band members as more of just a studio band that they could be replaced by any other bass player, guitar player, drummer, you know, in a sense. And then we have this Laura girl who has this incredible voice who was waiting tables on the side, trying to, you know, make a name for herself in Los Angeles. Like a lot of people did back then. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's interesting to kind of see where the whole thing went to. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, you know, as you progress through the documentary, they do talk a little bit about how they did reach that goal. They did, you know, attain that golden ticket and get a a contract from a major music label, Uh, you know, but a lot of things changed uh, towards the end of the run of Halix. And the documentary covers all of that. I don't want to talk too much about it because uh, it it gives away a really major part of it. But it's Mm -hmm. this beautifully tragic love slash music story that it's interesting to me to listen to the members of the band because if you've ever seen another documentary that has to do with these old bands, they a lot of them seem to have this disdain towards the other characters about like, yeah, well, we would have still been a band if this guy didn't this and that and that guy didn't. And, and it was crazy watching this one because that animosity really didn't exist right like mm-hmm. they all shared this common goal about creating this band from nothing they all seemed to have fun doing it and they knew that at some point it was going to come to an end they just didn't think that it was only going to be that one summer and how things you know turned out and why but it 
like there wasn't any of that bitterness that normally you see in these types of documentaries. They're like, yeah, this was the one of the greatest times of my life. You know, I had yeah. fun doing it. It was it was cool. And like you mentioned earlier, the fact that a couple of them were in costume, if they never talked about it, nobody would have ever known that it was them and they got paid for it. They got to do something totally different in their careers. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, that's kind of there because the fact that these that these band members haven't really talked about it before and it took all of this digging uh, I think also, in a sense, talks about how I don't think they're necessarily ashamed of it because it, it it didn't it didn't fail because they were bad. You know, the band itself failed for a multitude of other reasons. And they were all kind of I mean, again, I don't want to talk about it, but that's where I'm going to leave you. Like, you have to watch the documentary to figure that out. But that's kind of what they hint at from the very beginning. And they and they kind of lead you through the story. But yeah, uh, it's it's wonderfully produced. I think Matt Serrano did a, a fantastic job of directing this movie. And I mean, I've I've now seen it three times. You know, because the first time that I watched it, I was in a very similar situation that you were in. Uh, I was getting ready to watch it, but at the same time, I was working on something else. And I remember every so often turning back to to the screen and watching it and thinking like, man, I got to pay more attention to this. Usually when I'm working on something, I'm playing like something I've seen before and mm -hmm. I get the context of and I don't have to pay too much attention to because I kind of already know what happens, right? And these things I usually put off until I have like an hour or two to myself. And that way I can concentrate on it. That way I can give my full attention to it, especially if it's something that I know I'm going to learn something from. And that's part of the reason why this one took me so long to watch. But the the documentary itself, I'm going to put in the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 326 if you want to watch it. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I have one question for you. I don't know how you feel about this, but considering the popularity that this is going to gain, do you think it would be right for Disney to try to resurrect this band? Yeah, that's funny you say that because I've actually thought about that, and I don't know, man. It's 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 like you know you catch lightning in a bottle kind of concept, and I think that for Disney, this was one of those opportunities that they caught lightning in a bottle. It only lasted for like three months, and I don't know if they could duplicate that again. Um, it'd be fun to see. You know, I, I don't know if it would just be more of a parody than an actually like a real true representation of it. Um, you know, I could say I want to say something, but I don't want to spoil the documentary. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know, man. It's it's hard to say. I I would be excited to see it, but I think it's something that Disney learned from in terms of creating these little entities like Epcot's a great example for it because all, all these countries have these little bands that would play amongst them, you know, and they, the bands are allowed to come in and kind of start, well, along with Disney's help, develop something to, for, you know, the show. So, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. It's hard to say. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've, since I've seen it, you know, several, since watching it several times, that question has been top of mind for me. And I'm the more that I think about it, the more I'm falling into, I hope they don't. I hope they leave it alone. And I hope maybe that they try to find additional footage that maybe was 
stuck in somebody's closet or, you know, here's the thing. There's a lot of things in Disney history that I feel that are lost to time. But a lot of things from attractions and a lot of things from these shows end up in people's closets or garages or storage units. And they people only find them because, you know, this person that used to work at Disneyland 50 years ago passed away and now their estate is for sale. And now mm-hmm. it's up for auction or something like that, right? But I feel that with the popularity of Halix and the buzz that it's been getting since the release of this documentary... I'm hoping that at some point we get to see something that was actually recorded by Disney, some kind of studio session that was recorded because, I mean, they were catering this band out to many, many record labels to try to get this deal that they that they got. So something has to exist. And they kind of touch on it in the documentary. And the one person that you would expect to have something, um, you know, he talks about that. And um, but I'm sure there was other stuff, you know, on YouTube, there's an entire set that they did, but there's no video to it. It's like a still picture with an audio recording. And back in the 80s and I I guess kind of in the 90s, too, um, you know, people would bootleg concerts all the time. You know, you would go to mm-hmm. a concert, you would record it, and then you would pass it on to your friends or sell it. And you got to hear these concerts from all these different states that you probably never got a chance to go to or listen to. And that's kind of what this feels like. It feels like a bootleg from a con- – well, it's exactly what it is. It's not what it feels like, right? It's a bootleg right. from this concert that got put up on YouTube. So I'm hoping that at some point something surfaces because if there's footage from – Kids of the Kingdom or the Disneyland is your land by Kids of the Kingdom, you know, on that Tomorrowland state, the space stage, there has Mm -hmm. to be something for Halix somewhere. You know, it can't just be completely, completely lost. I refuse to accept that. But I feel that with the popularity that this has gained and the traction that it's getting because of the popularity of the of this documentary, I'm hoping more stuff surfaces. So. I could, I'd like to see some merch, like some, you know, I know there's merch out there. I guess people have created the fandom, uh, but like, you know, some real Disney merch would be kind of fun to see. Yeah. And that poster. Like a, yeah. I would say the same thing. That poster is awesome, right? Yeah, dude, <laughs> that poster is great. If I could compare it to anything, like, I mean, I guess all movie posters were done in a similar style, but it looks like one of the Star Wars posters. It has that same painting feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot the, there was one artist that would paint all of the like Indiana Jones posters and Star Wars posters and stuff like that. Um, God, what is the guy's name? Watch, it's gonna come yeah, to me gonna... as soon as as soon as we're done recording. I'm gonna be like ah, and I'm gonna remember the guy's name. The point is that it had a, a very beautiful painted uh, look to it. Uh, it felt like it was a Star Wars film or something along those lines, and. You know, for the time that they were putting this together, the group of people that was putting this band together and presenting it presented it like any other band. They took it seriously and they put on a show. Unfortunately, Disney as a company didn't see it like that. You know, they saw it as just this thing that was happening in Tomorrowland. Uh, It was something that they saw as kind of breaking the aesthetic of Disney and Tomorrowland. And it's really what it was doing. 
it was breaking the mold of what people saw, which goes back to the point you made earlier about how like yeah. people would hear it. It's like, what is that? You know, so mm-hmm. I get it. But considering how times have changed, like you said, they've learned from it. And that's why we've gotten stuff like Mad Tea Party. You know, uh, if we didn't have that to lead us into it, we would have probably never had that. We would have still had a Donnie and Marie-esque type show in the park somehow. You know, yeah, so. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you bring that up. So, like, the, the guys had, they had the 80s party, whatever, last last year, two years ago that they did, the 80s night one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here at Disneyland, it was at least 17 years ago in <laughs> April of 2020 or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah. So, so the documentary on the mouse size or whatever the hell it, heck it was called, um, Mickey wore this yellow jumpsuit kind of workout gear, and I guess at that '80s party they had a Mickey wearing that same cost, that same outfit that he wore <laughs> back in the '80s, as kind of you know as a tribute to that old show. It's kind of cool to see that. So they do bring things back. Yeah. However, the band I wouldn't want to bring the band back. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I don't think I would want to see it. I I would like to see them present something similar or something new, mm. not necessarily call it Halix. Uh, I think something like this can play a role in Galaxy's Edge. I think it would be the perfect mm-hmm. location for it. Uh, I think that Chewbacca, you know, if you think back at the holiday special, there was this mm-hmm. whole thing called Life Day that nobody knew about that we all found out about in that special. What if Chewbacca <laughs> in his teenage years was also a rocker? Who knows? Would be amazing. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, Halix. Uh, it's it's a great documentary. Again, uh, live from the space stage, a Halix story. A, a tip of the hat to Kevin Perger for helping produce this and Matthew Serrano for directing this and everyone involved in putting it together because it was just a fantastic documentary. Uh, again, I'm going to make it a part of this blog post, so podcasters.com slash 326 if you want to take a look at that. And if you've had a chance to watch it, we'd love for you to join the conversation and tell us your thoughts on how you felt watching it. Would you like to see something like this at Disneyland or at you know Disney World, at Epcot or something like that? You know, now uh, I know we have similar bands and and, you know, performances that happen, but nothing of this magnitude. I think the closest that we've come, like I said, is things like Mad Tea Party because there's full costumes and everything involved with it with that type of music style. But um, yeah, would you like to see something mm-hmm. like this at Galaxy's Edge? Uh, if so, leave a comment on the blog post for this episode, podcasters.com slash 326. Uh, or you can join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up, man. Uh, I Sounds feel good like, to me. I feel like I want to watch this documentary again. Yeah, I, I watched it today. I started listening to the performance, and, dude, it's good, man. It just yeah, they, It really is. They just work so well together. I'm going to put that in the blog post, too. Yeah, people need to listen to this. I, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it brings me back to those those days like you know, growing up with my cousins in the eighties that they were five, six years older than me. So they were they were totally into the big hair bands and the of the eighties, you know, that rock and roll time and you know, kind of being influenced by it. It's just uh it was interesting to come across this documentary that Disney kind of uh, stuck their toe in that water. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Yeah. 
that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Jason, thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, tell everybody where they can go find all of your stuff and how they can connect with you on social media. Yeah, so uh, over at here at Wise Guy Media, we have all of our podcasts that we're doing. Uh, this week, the wife Julie and I are going to be recording for our FEI Disney uh, episode, really covering all the stuff going on in the Walt Disney World Parks uh, what you can expect to uh, potentially find over in Disneyland when they open those parks as well, uh, covering all the holiday stuff, all the cancellations, all the things that they've added, because uh, they have lots of merchandise they have to sell. And all of our 2020 gear has been buy one, get one free, <laughs> which has been kind of crazy. So we'll be talking about all that stuff. Um, Julie and her friend Amy have a Disney food podcast called One Little Spice. You can find them out there, as well as my personal show called A Glass Blower's Companion. Uh, if you've ever been interested in uh, what goes on out there in the glass blowing world, uh, my show covers all that as well as uh, a lot of business talk and some fun fun stuff for artists out there just in general. So you can find us over at wiseguymedia.com, W-Y-Z-G-U-I media.com, and uh, I'll make sure Hazen has all the links for everything. Right on, man. A few weeks ago, I caught up with the last episode because in episode like 21 or 22, you guys ended up doing the Disney tag questions. Yeah. And I had some fun listening to your answers for that one. So if you guys remember, we did the Disney Tag Challenge where we had just had a bunch of questions that we answered about parks and movies and all sorts of stuff. Jason, his wife Julie, and a couple of guests who were from what podcast? Uh, Geek Salad. Yeah, so Geek Salad, they joined them to, to take on this Disney Tag Challenge. So make sure you also check out that episode. Subscribe to their podcast and check it out whenever you uh, have an opportunity. Dude, thanks, thanks again for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. So until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Take it easy. See you on Main Street.